Welcome to Big Fan Podcast. If we're meeting for the first time, my name is Kevin. And today's guest is a good friend of mine, Thomas. To be or not to be? Shakespeare. Yes. You know what he was talking about? Suicide. Podcast out there in case uh, it could help somebody. You know, that's if it helps one person, then, you know, this podcast was a success. But like there is a hotline, a suicide hotline, which is uh, 1-800-273-8255. You know, anytime somebody takes their own life, you know, it's, it's always a huge surprise. There are and, other ways out. And it's something very difficult to talk about too. Not just the fact that if you do talk to somebody about it, they're going to lock you up, like you said, for two weeks. But admitting that you have that type of hopeless despair yeah. is, it, you feel defeated on every sense and saying it out loud just gives it more power. Yeah, they say the ones you have to watch out for is the ones that don't tell nobody, the ones that keep it like, fantasy like almost every day like think about it and i think a lot of people have uh fought that demon before and but there's no way you could tell somebody that you know without being looked at as crazy yeah and and there's so many different types of depressions um as a mental illness it, people don't know what they have wrong with them and they, but they know something is wrong but nobody can tell them what's wrong before the, you know, it, it, it starts a endless cycle that feeds into itself and you feel like everything is crumbling around you. I've been dealing with it myself for decades. So, and, and we're not just talking about feeling sad for a couple of days because it's been cloudy out or, you know, the, the, the world is in a pandemic and it's, it's the strangest times of our lives. That this is something deeper that lasts for so much longer and it, it consumes you in all senses and everything that happens just makes it worse. Like, yeah, you want a way out, but like you damage your family, you damage your friends, you know, like, if, if you message somebody and they respond in the wrong way, maybe not thinking it's so urgent, and then you go do something crazy, like kill yourself, they're gonna feel that guilt for the rest of their life, centuries, you know, forever. Always gonna be stuck with that guilt, like what if? What if I would've picked up the phone? What if I would've called? A couple of years ago, uh, someone I know, was very good friends with, took their own life. And when the word finally filtered down to me, I remember thinking that talking to this person about this exact topic, I know that it helped me at that time. And I'd like to believe that it helped that person also. And now there isn't a day I go by that goes by that I don't think if I would have been there, he might still be alive today. Exactly. Yeah. There, there is no comeback from that decision. Yeah. You know? 
And that's the thing. Like, nothing is that bad. Like, even if you got to go to jail for a little while and shit, it's like, yeah, you get to go to jail and you get back out and, you, you know, maybe you get counseling in jail. <clears throat> as long as you're still alive, there's still the chance to change what's going on. Like, if somebody reaches out to you and it's kind of negative, like mad, because that's how some people reach out sometimes, how can you uh, help the situation? The first, first thing I usually do is I try to gain the person's trust and listen. Sometimes that's all it takes, just letting somebody unload whatever it is that's bothering them. And it, maybe not even what's bothering them, just unload about something else completely, just to get something off their chest. I ask them to not do anything rash, to not make any quick decisions. I also try to show them that I've gone through the same thing. In each experience is unique, but it, there are similarities that help bond you to somebody in that situation. Mm -hmm. you talk about there are some people that do it to spite people to hurt people there's also just people who think that they're doing everyone a benefit by doing it. you know if i if i'm gone they won't have to worry about me they won't have to take care of me they won't have to whatever look after me if i do this i'm doing them a favor you know, and you can't give somebody that that type of enablement. You know, you can't say it's, it's okay to do it because of that either. Because that's, as we know, not true. I know that alcohol does not help when you're depressed. <laughs> you know, like, like they say, spirits. You know, when you drink, you could black out and your body's still running around. That's basically a spirit that got in you and like technically when people commit suicide or something like that maybe they wouldn't have done it when they were sober but they drink and they get this you know alter ego and they get this courage and stuff that's probably not you you know so you have to monitor your drinking you know usually if somebody's not working that could add to depression because you're probably not able to get out you have financial problems like it's, it's a system process, but I think maybe, you know, talk to a doctor, you know, and get on meds, you know, and they have side effects, but the side effects is not as bad as being dead. No, alcohol is similar to marijuana, heroin. They, they, they are depressants. They, they lower certain chemicals inside of you that make you feel less than or, or in a certain type of zone, if you will, that people enjoy, you know, it, it, it can be numbing, it can be soothing, it can be, it can feel like you're being swaddled sometimes, you know, like the whole world is melted away outside of what I'm feeling inside myself. So and you're saying the, people get used to it? Not only do they get used to it, but they crave it. Um, it, it becomes uh, similar to a, a chemical addiction. It, it, there's a chemical basis behind it because some of the medications that they prescribe to adjust for some of this stuff uh, usually deals with serotonin. Um, 
which is a, a neurological in, in, inhibitor. I, I might be wrong on that, but it's somewhere along those lines. And the more that you produce, certain things happen. And when you're depressed and you, it's, you're using depressants such as marijuana, alcohol, heroin, um, those lower all that stuff and it makes you feel different. Um, and on the reverse side of that, uh, stimulants such as caffeine, um, cocaine, uh, that type of stuff, it, it puts you at such a, a reverse high that when you come down, you come down so hard and it spins you even farther down the hole too. So <laughs> they both kind of have the same outcome. So would you suggest uh, somebody seeking treatment and going into a hospital and basically a mental hospital? Um, I treat each situation as its own scenario. Uh, the hospital is not right for everybody. There, I've seen people that have gone in the hospital and gotten much worse. They were either misdiagnosed, mistreated, or didn't fully commit to what was trying to happen. And it's, it just went downhill from there. You know, they, they were better off not going in. You, you have to evaluate what's going on. You, you have to evaluate what's the person you're dealing with. For most people, at least going to a hospital for a couple of weeks is usually sufficient. Okay. I just had a family member that went through that. And did the hospital help <clears throat> so far? Um, no, unfortunately, uh, whether of their own accord or due to a systemic failure in our healthcare system, the family member didn't get the full treatment that they needed. Wow. So it ended up making matters worse for a little while. See, and that's another thing. It's like, if you're depressed, you want to kill yourself and you, you, you need treatment and you're, you're willing to seek it, but now you don't have a job and you don't have insurance. So, you know, it's like, they'll do very little for you. It's bizarre. You feel helpless, you feel powerless. You know, you, you feel like you're trying to do everything you can and you're not getting anywhere. You're spinning your wheels, you're running into brick wall after brick wall. You jump through every hoop only to find that there was no point in jumping through that hoop anyway because it didn't work mm -hmm. it was never going to work and they were just telling you that to shoo you away because they were sick and tired of dealing with you because they already know that they can't help you now if you had an 18 year old son and he tells you dad you know i'm sad and i want to kill myself what could you tell him to what would you tell him um i would tell him about my own suicide experience but i would have just ask them what's wrong how can i help and let it just go from there yeah i get I, that stuff worries me because i have four children and it's like you know sometimes you'll see on the news like i remember there was a news episode where <clears throat> the kid the dad or the kid broke his tv you know from playing the video game and uh you know he was like two weeks go by or something and he's like you know, working with his dad and he's, he's a young kid. And, uh, so the dad's like, okay, I'm gonna buy you another TV and stuff. And, you know, he's like, don't do it again. You know, so he buys him the TV 
And uh, I believe like, you know, 10 minutes of him having the TV, the, his, his sister comes and gets the dad and she tells him, you know, come, you know, come, come to the like son's room. The dad goes there and the son hung himself. And, uh, and it was like, just cause he didn't want to, you know, tell his dad, like I broke the new TV and you know, shit. And now like the dad, you know, could you imagine how fucked up he feels? You know, yeah. I was like, dude, it was the fucking TV. You're my son. Like, you know, like, you know, you probably kill you. I probably kill myself over that shit. Like, you know, couldn't be a normal person after that. And um, it's like, that's a true story. And like, you know, like that stuff sticks with me and shit. And it's like, damn, you know, my kids like video games, you know, shit. <laughs> so you got to watch how you. You really got to be careful what you say, especially with children, because they take everything so literally. Yeah. You know, if you tell some a child that it's their fault that this is happening, they're going to take it for them. Mm-hmm. It's going to make trauma. You know, yeah, you think about all the things you, you could have done, didn't do, and overlooked. You know, if, like, you see a message and stuff, like, a week before the person does what they do and shit, and you're like, damn, I should have fucking acted on that. I really didn't think too much of it, but, you know, somebody's reaching out for help. Well, at the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned uh, the suicide hotline. Um, have you ever used it yourself? Uh, I haven't. I, uh, I'm curious about them. Like, have you ever used it? Like, what do they talk about if you have? I have used it several times. Most of the time, they tell you to call an ambulance. Luckily, it is anonymous, so they can't, like, send anybody after you. <laughs> <laughs> or at least that, that was my experience. <laughs> I, I remember the first time I called, it was a guy on the phone. Um, you could tell that he had heard several stories about people wanting to kill themselves before, but I don't think he had ever had to deal with somebody that was as committed to it as I was at that time. I know I st stumped him more than once and I felt bad about it. You stumped him? I, I trapped him in a logical uh, spiral that uh, he couldn't answer. Uh -huh. And I, I kept doing that to him because I was in an agitated state and I, want, I was passively aggressively attacking him <laughs> because he was getting in the way of telling me, oh, you know, he wasn't telling me what I wanted to hear. So I made him tell me what I wanted to hear. Do you think you were trying to make him him like give up on you so you could give up no i think i was trying to make him give me permission to do it in my head it, it made sense that if somebody at the suicide prevention hotline says you know what you're right you go ahead and do it <laughs> that you know that, that that's pretty you know concrete evidence that you, you're making the right choice but um in a situation at, like that do you think like uh God will talk to you to like let you I know and be like, you know. I believe it's possible. It didn't happen with me at that time. No. Patience isn't a virtue that many humans have anymore. Yeah. You have diabetes, right? Yes. I was diabetic. Diagnosed a uh, little about, let's say about 14 years ago. And you type two? Yes. That's that's the one uh, 
that is reversible, right? It, it, it's hard to think of it in that term, but I, if uh, I take care of myself better, I would probably not have to worry about it at all, yes. I mean, you've lost within a year, like, have you been keeping track of how much weight you've lost? Um, right now it stands at just over a hundred pounds, but right now it's at about 108 pounds. Yeah, that's amazing. Congratulations on that. I'm going back up and down here and there within 10 pounds on a weekly basis. So, <laughs> I, and I'm still, can, I would be medically considered morbidly obese still. Um, I probably need to lose about another 70 pounds to be considered healthy, but uh, yes, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to enjoy bragging about losing that much weight. I actually, uh, I have the same belt that I wore at my, at that weight. And, um, I had to add notches to it in order to keep using it. And I enjoy showing it to people I say, yeah, I lost yeah. this much weight. What do you use to make those notches? Sometimes I, I, I use a combination of uh, yeah hammer, nail, screwdriver, um, hole punch, or leather punch, rather. Combination. Whatever's handy at the time I think of it. So when you were diagnosed with diabetes, how did it change your life? Was it a dramatic change? It, it was... It was kind of a um, personal assault because uh, my father had diabetes and I saw the, how it ravaged his body. And at, at when I first heard the diagnosis, I, it felt like I was being given a death sentence because I knew the horrors that were in store for me. But I had also paid attention when my father was going through some of those worst times and asked a lot of questions of a lot of doctors and learned a lot. I haven't been very, very diligent, but uh, I'm probably better off than <laughs> not doing anything at all. <laughs> I, I, I keep track of my blood sugar on a regular basis. Um, I, I take my insulin as needed and uh, I've had to make some adjustments with work, but probably some unhealthy choices too, but I, I'm not losing ground. I'm, I'm, I'm maintaining a nice homo, homeostatic balance, if you will. So you said your uh, father had, di he, he was diabetic also? Yeah, he was diagnosed in his early twenties and he really didn't take care of it. <clears throat> Beginning in his mid forties, he, uh, started losing the battle eventually it it's it, uh it's hard for me to discuss but uh he lost his eyesight we had to have his one leg amputated he had chronic heart problems he had complete renal failure he was on dialysis for the last several years of his life the end of his life was a living hell got diabetes, you felt that it was like a death sentence? I also felt it was inevitable. Um, I knew it was coming. I knew the lifestyle that I was living was leading to it and I did nothing to stop it. The warning signs were all there and I just kept going on as if I was indestructible. It was directly 
related to his diabetic condition. As I said, um, you know, when I first was told that I had it, all the worst things that I'd seen go on with my father is exactly what I imagined myself going through. So that's why I considered it a death sentence. In 2019, uh, my kid was diagnosed with uh, diabetes type one. You know, that's that's the more severe one. You know, it's the one that's it like is. really not not reversible. And, and it's also and, the one that's more often found in juvenile. I could barely take it because it, it did feel like a death sentence. It was like, you know, how could, you know, how could this be happening to me? You know, what did and, I do uh, wrong to my child? What, it, what, it, what could I have done differently? Yeah. yeah. My, I say my wife, because we've been together for 12 years, my fiance, who I just got engaged with. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, she's, she, she's a diabetic also. She's type two. So she was diagnosed first. Yes. So, and they diagnosed her as type two? Yes. Now, uh, forgive me for asking this. Uh, I, I, for some reason in my head, this question sounds very condescending, but do you know the difference between type one and type two? Oh, yes, yes. Okay. Type one? Basically, your body produces too much insulin and you constantly need more sugar. Type two, your body stopped making insulin and you, any little bit of, any, everything your body uh, processes raises your blood sugar to a dangerous level. Yes. But the organ is the pancreas. Uh, that's the organ that produces the uh, insulin, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I'm not a doctor and I don't pretend to play one on TV either, so. No, but um, you're experienced. experienced. If, if, I, if I get something wrong, I'm sorry, but I, I know that uh, the, the scientific stuff behind it isn't just the pancreas. There, there's more to it than that. And um, I'm drawing a complete blank right now on everything that goes into it. The thing is that diabetes affects the entire body. It, it, it affects different organs in different ways. Um, it most directly uh, affects the kidneys first. I'm sorry, I'm explaining without having been asked a question. <laughs> when the blood sugar raises, I like to think of it as uh, the you ever spill a soft drink and leave it sit for hours and it gets real sticky. Imagine that running through your blood. You know, it, it, the syrup from like soda from pop, you know, that's what you're turning your blood into when you have a high blood sugar. And the reason that the kidneys are affected first like that, well, I shouldn't say first, but very harshly is because when the kidneys try to filter out the bad stuff going through your blood and there's too much sugar and it's too syrupy, they're like, whoa, and they get clogged. <laughs> and then they, they start to build up bad stuff in them. It's like, you know, like, if you, you, you clog up your sink and just keep using it, even though it's clogged, <laughs> you know, it's not going to smell real good after a while. <laughs> but th that's why, especially with diabetics, uh, the kidneys are one of the uh, worst hit organs. 2019, you know, fucking kid got diagnosed. And it was hard for me to take that, you know, because I did feel like my kid was going to, you know, and it was bad because they were just trying to figure the stuff out right then and stuff. And I was like, I thought my kid was going to die right there. 
you know, and then it's like, you know, you got to ask yourself the question. It's like, you know, can you continue if like one of your kids did fucking die? You know, in my head, it's like, no, you know, so like I felt like if something happened to her, something would be happening to me. And believe it or not, it does, because you do have to make adjustments in your lifestyle to accommodate the person you love and care for. You know, you have to make smarter decisions. You know, if you're going to go out to dinner, you know, does that place have a diabetic friendly menu? (laughs) Um, When you go to the store, you know, is the whole family going to eat something and then this person's going to eat something separate or is everybody eat the same thing? So we all have to eat diabetic healthy. (laughs) So, you know, you you have to make it, it, it doesn't happen to just one person. It happens to the whole family. You know, a lot of people ask like, oh, could your kids come over to like spend a night and stuff? And it's like, no, I'm not going to risk it with my kids being diabetic and stuff. I was like, you know, it's, you know, everything they eat, you have to jump out with the calculator, do the math <laughs> and, you know, yeah. and that's breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, everything, you know, you and, have to and, test and, it. And worst case scenario, something goes wrong. Does that parent know how to handle a diabetic, you know, emergency you know if their blood sugar is too low do they you know give them sugar do they you know call an ambulance you know if their blood sugar is too high do how much insulin do they give you know does that person know yeah and then it's like new stories of like kids going over for sleepovers and not taking their medicine or something and waking up dead (laughs) you know you don't wake up dead you know and depending on stuff stuck in my head yeah depending on the age of the child too. I mean, it's pretty, for some kids, it's embarrassing to have to take medicine all the time. You know, yeah. some, some kids are very brave and you know, they, they can, Oh yeah, watch this. <laughs> but I mean, I know there was a kid when I was growing up who had to take insulin and he always hit it. He, he, he hated people knowing anything about it. So I want to set up this, uh, nonprofit and, uh, so when my kid was in the hospital for like, she was in there for days and stuff. She got out right before Thanksgiving, like the day before Thanksgiving, which was amazing. Good timing. Yeah. You know, there was like nothing we could do. And like the hospital, they had a donation of uh, this teddy bear, you know, which was like a diabetic teddy bear had like all the spots and stuff. And, you know, that made her smile you know, that made her feel better and stuff. And I was like, man, that's, that's fucking amazing. I was like, you know, knowing we're like diabetes, like you can't do nothing, but teach somebody. But like, what you could do for like a child is like, give them a toy, you know, and you, that will help. You know, you know what we could do? You reach out to Build-A-Bear, the Build-A-Bear company. Have you, you've heard of that. I don't know if they're still yeah. around, but. Yeah, no, they are. There's this new type of glucometer that you put, you put somewhere on your body and it, it continuously monitors your, your glucose, the, the, the blood sugar levels. And you inside the Build-A-Bear, you can put a receiver that monitors it so that the teddy bear can actually be the thing that tells the child's blood sugar level. Um, I know uh, there, there's at least two uh, commercials running on TV for, they're called continuous glucose monitors or uh, CGMs for short. Um, I think uh, Lifestyle, 
life source or something like that is one um i can't i can't remember the brand names offhand and i should be getting one too so <laughs> but uh, right now they have it so that you can connect to your phone um you you get an app and like a parent can uh, monitor their kids blood sugar from while the kids at school or something like that you know Oh yeah, they have that already. We have that, but yeah, I like the build a bear thing though that you were talking about. That's yeah, you you could, and and just because it's on a personal note, um, unrelated to diabetes, but a very very uh, heart wrenching story about one of the Chicago Bear players, former Chicago Bear State player Steve Mongo McMichael, uh, being diagnosed with ALS. I I I wish him the best. What is ALS? ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Oh. Um, it, it, it's a, uh, I don't know enough about it to get into it. That's where they shake? The shake? The shake? No, no. All their muscles, uh, they, they, their muscles basically die. Okay. So, uh, like, they can't move anything. They're stuck, you know, wheelchairs and stuff like that. Um, their organs begin to fail, too because the muscles can't like move their lungs. You know what I mean? The, 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 the heart is a muscle and it. They, it, it can't pump the blood. Uh, the one where they shake, I believe you're talking about uh, Parkinson's disease. That's the one that Muhammad Ali had. That's uh, the one yeah. uh, Michael J. Fox has. Yep, he's the most famous one for that. Like, he had a TV show when he had that, uh, what was the name of the TV show, do you remember? Family Ties. Yeah, good TV show. Fantastic TV show. Justine Bateman, Tina Yothers, Michael Gross, um, blanking on the mom's name, Meredith. Uh, oh, forgive me. I can't remember her name, but I can see her face. Yeah, fantastic TV show. You know who's... Uh... Yeah, you have stories of like, uh, you know, the Fountain of Youth, Ponce de Leon looking for, you know, stuff like that. He, he supposedly tortured, you know, tribe after tribe of... You know, uh, indigenous people, you know, asking where it was. <laughs> yeah. The conquistadors. So they're uh, Spaniards, right? Yeah. Uh, conquistador is Spanish for a conqueror, isn't it? Should be. Spaniards. So they're from mm. Europe, right? And they, from Spain, so, yeah. So were they, so they, were they like uh, blue eyes, blonde hair? And just spoke uh, Spanish, like Latin. Um, some of them had blue hair and blonde eyes. Um, but they were like white. They were white people. Pretty much, I, they they had the Anglo-Saxon appearance. Yes, that's crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, blue eyes, blonde hair, white skin. They come over. Not, not all of them, huh? It wasn't all. Of them. So, how, how, describe describe what your knowledge of how they looked. Um, if you if you're talking about like the 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 Mediterranean area, Greek, yeah. Italian, Spanish, olive tone skin that that is, they're known for now. Um, there were probably some, but nowhere near what it is like today. Um, how it's dominant. Um, I think of the the time frame that you're talking about. Um, it it wasn't. I mean, it was a couple centuries, but 
Spain was part of Gaul, wasn't it? Before France and Spain and Britain and all that. Yeah. So it, it was a common ancestry in that sense, if that's what you're talking about. Anglos and the Saxons that dominated the northern part of Europe for the, the, the Middle Ages and whatnot that filtered down um, in the, uh, what do they call that? The Dark Ages, you know, the, the four or five hundreds or whatever. But then you had the Italians go up north, you know, at the same time. So it goes back and forth. And that, that's why I say it's, it's not, I'm making this a lot more complicated than it needs to be, aren't I? No, you're good. I would say that they were more suntanned <laughs> appearance than olive tanned. Olive skin. olive skin. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, yeah tanned Europeans <laughs> so uh so they come over to America well I mean you know they hit Cuba and shit like that but they come over and they're kind of lost they don't know what the fuck's what and uh like I was reading this book and like three three ships and stuff full of full of like their whole crew uh ended up in three different uh spots of the country like these conquistadors they would get lost and uh yeah. with no food and like rifles and stuff you could fight off like the native americans and stuff for a while but like they ended up like having to melt their rifles you know and turn them into axes so they could chop wood and try to build the boat because like boats were destroyed and stuff and you know some some of them went like cannibalism on, yeah uh, you know and ended up eating each other and like the Native Americans found them and they were like, look at these savages. <laughs> like, you know, like these guys are eating each other and stuff, you know. And the conquistadors, you know, uh, if their names do mean conquerors in Spanish, they would try to enslave the indigenous people to, you know, you know, do their bidding and stuff like that too. Um, and anytime you try to enslave people, they're going to try and fight back. So <laughs> they would die that way too. Yeah. You know, the diseases that, like, uh, they brought over just because of, like, having rats, having yeah. animals, you know, animals, that's where you get most of your viruses from in the world. And uh, Native Americans, yeah, the Native Americans, they, uh, they didn't even have all those animals and shit out there, you know, so it was all just, that's, that's what got them and shit, like, uh, they, they didn't have the immune system for it. Yeah, what is it? I, I think it was... Uh uh trichinosis or something like that or botches something with pork um the native americans had never had pork or something like that and uh that that ran through them like it was like uh you could have lined them up all in a single file with a gatling gun and wiped them out in like two seconds <laughs> that's how many or something like that but I, I might be mixing up a lot of stuff yeah but it's crazy like uh it wasn't just like an easy run for them, you know, like it was hard, <laughs> you know, like, and they were, they, they had their, you know, they were trying to please their king, you know, yeah. they had a job, they had a job to do. And it was like, if they didn't, like, they would get like their heads chopped off and shit, you know? So there was a lot of motivation, you know, they were trying to go to a place and make, you know, make some money. 
and they were they were trying to save their necks in that sense but they were also trying to gain their own power they were trying to you know one one for the crop two two for me you know yeah yeah for for every gold doubloon that they sent back to the crown they kept two for themselves you know they they were going to make as much money as they could (laughs) they they wanted power too you know all for a myth i don't know if that's how it actually happened but that's pretty silly what do you think the native americans should have done to stop the europeans what could they have done i don't know that they were the a technologically superior society. They they had larger numbers. They had um, you know more supplies. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I've always at least thought of when I thought of Native Americans and uh, you know was how they respected and honored each other you know that they had fights and everything like that but they they would uh have rituals and stuff like that to honor what they were doing um you know so it it, and a lot thinking along those lines you know the native americans see these people first of all you know with some of the the you know the ability to sail across the ocean and, and you know shoot you know weapons that they had and make metal you know clothing and everything like that some of them thought they were gods you know and they were like oh my what do we do (laughs) you know we we can't fight a god um but more so i'd like to think that it was their good nature they 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 were like these are other human beings let's welcome them let's let's share our wealth with them let's let's learn from them let's you know make our world better together and the Europeans said, ha ha, you morons, we're going to take everything you got. And they did. And then the Spaniards went over to Mexico, you know, and uh, basically conquered Mexico and taught them their language. And uh, taught them, forced their, their language. Yeah, yeah, made them. And the thing about it is... Uh, Mexico and America, they're attached. I say there's no difference between like Mexico and Native Americans. It's the same thing. It's just this area was conquered and they were forced to learn another language. There were a couple of tribes. Uh, yeah, the Aztecs, the Incans, the Mayans. The Aztecs, yeah. The Aztecs. Um, the Aztecs, they're from Mexico. And, uh, but those were like the, you know, more of a Native American kind of, you know, Mexican kind of tribe. I, I remember somebody pointing out that you could, the farther north you went, the, you could see like how, you know, what what you thought of the traditional North American, Native American, um, the differences between that and like the Aztecs and everything like that. like the farther north you get, you could see how it would like skip closer and closer to what you were thinking of. Yeah, and also if you go with the Eskimos, that's the same shit, man. The people that also connect um, the, uh, the, the Pacific Island, like the uh, Hawaii, the Pacific Islanders from Hawaii and Midway and all that stuff to Native Americans also. 
Yeah, I mean, Native Americans, they started in uh, Asia, you know, and basically, which from what I know is like everybody started in Africa, except. Yeah, what, what do they call it? The cradle of civilization? Mesopotamia? Yeah, suppo yeah supposedly it all started in Africa. They found different bones somewhere else, right? Like uh, the Vikings or some shit, like it's a different bloodline, could be. Yeah, um, I, I I don't know enough. I am my brain is too Swiss cheese to actually know the facts enough. But um, the, the, there's there was a famous cave in France that they found. the The word Neanderthal is named for the system where the the bones were found. Um, but uh, like there there was a cave in France. There there's been some in like like you said, uh, either in Germany or Switzerland. Um, but it, it's strange because, it, you know, people talk about Africa and, you know, black skin and Asians having what, what yellow skin and uh, Native Americans having red skin and everything like that. And supposedly we all came out of Africa and we all had, at one point or another, we all had to have the same skin color. And if you look at how the Aboriginal people of Australia evolved differently than the rest of the world because they were cut off. You know, they, they still evolved. They, they, they're, they're, you can definitely tell that they're human beings, you know, but because they were cut off, they have difference. There's their, their bloodlines more pure or whatever they call it. You know what I mean? It is, if you think about how evolution and genetics work, you know, if we were all one skin color at one point, you know, if you go far back enough, far enough back on our timeline as a species, you know, the first person that was ever, you know, we'll say purely white, what we consider Caucasian today, you know, how was that, how much of a difference was that from what was the norm at the time? Because that one person would have been a mutant, a, a, a genetically mutated gene made that person different from the rest of the others. And for whatever reason, it was able to survive the genetic enhancement and pass it along to others. And it grew out of that, you know, the, at what point did it become what we think of as Caucasian and black or Caucasian and Asian? You know, where, where did that split happen? I can't answer that. Yeah, that's a rhetorical one right there. there. There had to be a first one, you know, there, there, there had to be some, somebody who was the first one that had that genetic difference. What about the habitat? That's what I was going on off of with Australia. Um, you know, Darwin uh, was is famous with the Galapagos Islands and the, the Galapagos turtles. They evolved differently than other species that were known that were similar because they were cut off and they had they had to they had to evolve differently. You know, uh, the turtles had to be larger because um, they had to protect themselves differently for whatever reason you know it was different predators different different things uh hunted them and different things kept them alive you know it was different coral different fish you know 
salt water versus fresh water. And at one point, the entire planet was covered in, in water, right? Yeah. And so everything at one point on the planet was salt water, <laughs> but it, I don't think it worked like that. Do you believe uh, humans are part of the ape family? Yes. I, I think, especially with them mapping the genome, I think the, uh, the genome code. Yeah, DNA basically. There's there's what three hundred trillion bits of information in DNA that they had to figure out, and it took them like 25, 30 years or something like that. But now that they they've done it, they can compare it to everything. <laughs> so, and they found so many similarities that it's in my opinion irrefutable evidence you know the, the same the same way that the common household dog is related to the fox you know they're two different species but at some point down the, the road they had the same ancestor as a horse <laughs> and you see like uh that that's the problem though it's like uh we're apes Basically, we come from the ape family. We're a different type of fucking ape, but God created humans. So it's, but He created everything. I just believe He created a different ape. You know, a different. Yeah, ape. And, and the amount of time that we're talking about that it took to get from ape to human, you're talking millions of years. <laughs> uh, we can't comprehend anything being around that long <laughs> yeah and and basically the big change was uh when humans discovered fire they were able to heat their meat and by them heating their cooked meat it changed it made their brains bigger you know it, in a roundabout way yeah <laughs> you know they, they were able to digest food differently which they weren't able to survive on before you know so they they had more options and they because they're were more survivable options, more people survived. And that's yeah. why they were able to dominate the world. Resurrection Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of. Yeah. So what was the story of Resurrection Mary? And then tell the what what really happened. Well, for my guests that don't know. I, I don't remember the exact timeline, but it's anywhere between the 1930s and the 1950s. Um, a boyfriend and girlfriend were driving along uh, Archer Avenue, either heading to or coming from a dance somewhere in the next town over. And apparently their car broke down so the boyfriend started working on the car, whether it was a flat tire or engine, I don't know, but he was working on the car and the girlfriend, whose name happened to be Mary, went trying to look for a ride to find some help. She happened to get picked up by somebody and supposedly this person was drunk and they happened to cross broken down vehicle and 
the drunk driver lost control and hit the broken down vehicle, immediately killing the boyfriend who was working on the car. And the girlfriend uh, was thrown into the cemetery with her purse still on the, the uh, drunk driver's seat. And he survived the night, he survived the accident. Either he fled away as a coward and left her to die in the cemetery, or he was passed out and didn't realize that she was still alive in the cemetery, but she died wailing for help supposedly. And the myth is that if you happen to be driving down Archer Avenue passing the cemetery, Resurrection Cemetery, and you see a woman flagging you down for help, you happen to pick her up. When you pass the cemetery gates, she'll disappear and leave her purse and you will die within the next day or so. And has that actually happened? I can't say yes or no. Um, but it is a famous Chicago story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know some people nationally have tried to link it to the story about saying her name three times in the mirror or something like that. But to my knowledge, it really has nothing to do with that. It, it has everything to do with the cemetery. And a cemetery uh, is haunted though, right? There is a lot of strange stuff that happened in that cemetery. I do know that one of the famous stories about the cemetery itself is the front gate, um, which adds to the Resurrection Mary story. At one point, it looked as if the, there were two bars on the front gate that had been pried apart by fingers. The real story behind that is that there was an employee who was drunk on the job who had backed up into the gate and in order to fix the gate, they heated it up, tried to, they made it look as good as they could. And because they heated up the metal, the paint wouldn't stick right. And they had to repaint that area every year. So people just ran with the story because it sounded better. They didn't know the truth, obviously, but. And how old were you? Um, I don't know exactly when that happened, so I don't know. I learned of the true story when I was about 20 years old. You were a graveyard picker, right? Or a graveyard digger, right? I did work in that cemetery, yes. Don't worry, you're not gonna get nobody in trouble. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> People I don't yeah. know about that, especially because yeah. we're broadcasting and recording yeah they're gonna come find you <laughs> <laughs> man the world the world's crazy it's uh it's at war constantly out there and, and especially in like jerusalem right now israel jerusalem israel is it israel not jerusalem <laughs> Uh, Jerusalem, 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 I believe is in Israel. Okay. I, I could be just very high and not getting that correct either. No, I mean, you're probably getting it better than me because I went to public schools. You know? I, I went to public that, school. 
school. I mean, I went to like shitty public schools. Speaking of celebrity connections, I went to high school with Kanye West. Name drop. What high school was it? I prefer not to say. Say it. Everybody I, knows what high school he went to. It's just I, so went, we I, went, to, I went to Pi. Uh, the school later changed its name to Polaris, but I went to Pi. Okay. I did have a class with Kanye West. We had an English class together. Very, very uh, lone wolf, you know, leave me alone type. Not, not in a hostile, like negative, like just, just didn't want to talk to people. <laughs> he has that, friends and like that. He, did he hang out with like an all black crowd? Um, yeah. 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 Actually, I, uh, I do have a funny story about Kanye. That's I made cool. him laugh. I, I, I made him laugh very hard. One of our assignments in English, we had to um, give a speech as somebody. Basically, we had to do an impersonation. And I had a, a, an uncanny resemblance to a comedian at the time, uh, the name of Sam Kinison, who was known for a very loud, screaming, obnoxious uh, act. So I did that in class. I was screaming my head off for 20 minutes in class and I had the whole room laughing very hard. But he, I, I, remember, I remember him specifically laughing because I, I remember looking over at him and going, wow, I even made him laugh. That's, that, I'm, I'm impressing myself on that one. <laughs> you know? yeah. was, he, was he always, like, could you tell he was always gonna be like a somebody or? Um, I know I knew he was intelligent, smart. Um, you know, especially being in the class with him. Anytime he would answer a question, it was you know, good answers, whatnot. But he, he also had a reputation for being uh, creative and brilliant and stuff like that. Because he, he, I I do know that he was working on music at the time he was in high school. Fucking, uh, we're gonna wrap it up right here. Thomas, it's been my pleasure having you on my show, man. Fucking great stories, great story time. Thank you very much. Yeah, we definitely hit a bunch of topics. Thank you for yeah. having me. Have a good night. Good night.